Hallelujah. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Well, tomorrow we'll head back to Colorado and uh, get ready for our own spring break. We're going to be taking the teens down to, to Phoenix for, with Pastor Mario. And uh, so we'll be heading down that way, and it'll be good. So praise God. How many brought your Bibles? Amen. You ought to bring your Bible to church. Some folks got it on a, on a tablet or on your phone or something. And that's all right, too. If that's, what, if that's the way you like to roll, go ahead. But personally, I like to have paper in front of me. That's just me. Amen. And that's, that's okay. You, however, you, however you like to do it. I, I, I want to be able to hand a Bible down to my kids that's all marked up. You know what I mean? It's got all kinds of scriptures underlined, things written in the margins, stuff in the back, lots of good notes. And uh, I don't want to just hand them, you know, here, let me just transfer this app over to your phone. You can, you can see what I've been reading. Amen. It's good to, have, good to have the Word of God, though, with you, whatever, however you do it. Turn with me over to 1 Samuel, if you would, chapter 14. 1 Samuel 14. I want to give you some testimonies of what, what the Lord has done in, in our lives and, and uh, throughout the, the years of ministry that we've been able to, to be a part of what God is doing. We've been able to pastor in northern Colorado. We were able to do the youth in Colorado Springs and also able to put a tent inside of a 20-foot Connex container, put it on a ship, and pick it up in Nairobi and uh, have that thing brought in inland into Nairobi. Nairobi is not on the coast. We're about five, six hours. It was at one point eight hours in for us to drive from, from Nairobi to Mombasa, and it was, it was faster to drive off the road than it was on the road because the roads were so bad. And uh, we were able to get that, that container brought into the, to the city. We didn't have a place that we could put that tent we were just believing God. We were really going on a, on a prayer when we, when we went into that country. We don't like to always do that. When we're planning a church in another place, we don't like to just, uh, we, we want to go in faith, but we want to at least have some sense of assurance that once we get there, there's going to be papers that can be processed. We can get, get in, you know. And uh, we had another church that we'd already put there years, years ago that had some some. Uh, uh, government papers done they they'd done some of the preliminary work for us and so when we got there we were able to get established we were able to get some some documents for our work permits and the ball began to get rolling we started things off and and just getting a place to stay and i've shared that with this church before but i'm going to share with you a little bit about what god did but you know most people don't like surprises they want to be in control of everything you might know somebody like that. Everything's planned out, you know. Uh, really, Pastor Blake thinks that, I, you know, I know I, I'm just like a GPS. I do get the map out, and I look and see, okay, now where's this going? Where's that going? I really want to be sure of, of where we're going. I kind of want to have an idea, but some people are just absolute control freaks. They have to have every detail. There was a, an airline, I don't know if you remember Western Pacific Airlines. How many, anybody remember that, that airline? And they had a deal at one time where you could take a mystery flight. I don't know if anybody, have you, how many have heard of that before? How many would like to go on a mystery flight? They don't tell you where you're going. 
you just pay the money and then when you get to the airport I'm not sure if that's exactly how they did it, but you get to the airport, they hand you like some kind of a packet, they give you a ticket, and uh, they just tell you, you know, dress warm. Or they tell you, you know, we're gonna, you're going to be wearing shorts. And so you get there, and they give you the ticket, and then you get on the plane, and you don't know where you're going to end up. Now, that's not some folks' idea of a vacation. But for some people, they want that element of surprise. They like the, the not knowing where they're going. It's a mystery vacation, you know. Uh, there's even, there are even companies that will specialize. They, they, they put together a package, you know. They want to customize it to you. If you want something that's absolute adventure, I mean, they could probably set you up so that you could be mugged, you know. And uh, you can see how you're going to handle yourself if, you're gonna, if you get mugged. I don't know if that's your thing or not. But, but uh, for those people that don't know, they don't have to have every detail planned out for them, and they simply want to be able to trust God. They, they want to be able to, to step out in faith. You know, life hands you these things. You don't expect it. Life hands you things. You, do, you weren't planning on it. We've got people in our church. I'll get a phone call. My wife's in the hospital. My husband's in the hospital. We've got this unexpected thing. It, it, we, it was completely taking us. It's completely taking us by surprise. How do you handle those things? What do you do in those moments? What do you do when there's, a, when there's something that's facing you and you don't exactly understand the outcome of it? And I want to minister this morning, or this evening rather, on handling these things, handling the unknowns in life. In 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 6, here Jonathan and his armor bearer are at the edge of going into battle with the Philistines. And it says in verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man that bore his, well, let me back up a little bit. It came to pass on a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto, his, unto the young man that bore his armor, in verse 1, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migran, and the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. The people knew not that Jonathan was gone. Between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over into the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Senna. And for the forefront of the one was situate north northward over against Mishmash and the other southward against Gibeah. And here's what, listen to this right here in verses 6 and 7. Jonathan said to the young man that bore his armor, come, let us go over under the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be, it, it's possible that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save either by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in your heart, Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. How many know that's some bold faith right there? He says it may be that the Lord will work for us. I mean, we don't have a guarantee. We don't know for sure. It's not, it's not a, an absolute. We're, we're not absolutely sure. It's, in fact, there's a possibility it might not even work at all. But he said it may be that the Lord will work in our favor. 
How many know that that's a, that's a good place to be is to, is to say, God, I trust you completely. It may be that the, that the Lord will work for us because there is no restraint to the Lord. In other words, he can, he can do it this way or he can do it that way. If he can, if he can save by many, he can save by few. He's a God of possibilities. We packed that tent and we laid hands on that container when we were shipping that thing over to Kenya. And we, we prayed, God, help us open a door. And we got over there. And when we, when we finally received that container, it took them five months to get that container to us. By May, we got the container. What happened? Somebody slipped a motorcycle in there at the last minute. And when customs opened that thing over on the East Coast, they said, we need to see a title for this thing. So it sat in the port over, in, over on the east coast of the U.S. for several months. Finally, it arrived in Nairobi. During that time, we were looking for a place. We went from, I mean, we, we searched high and low for land. We looked in the city center. We looked on the outskirts of Nairobi. We went, I mean, we looked all over the city. I, I really did learn Nairobi like, like nobody else. I mean, I was in and out with that, with that land cruiser all over the place finally we were we found a place downtown it was right next to a railroad it was prime time real estate we met with the, we i met with senior officials i met with people in tall buildings i met with people that i met with one man he was a a politician he was hated by some and loved by others and when it wherever he went he went with a with a loaded gun on his side i thought man what kind of guy am i running with here Made me a little bit nervous. We met, I met with all, all types of people trying to get in and find a place. That one fell through. Another one fell through. It was because people didn't want to rent to a church. They thought, well, if you, get some, if you get a church in there, you can never get rid of them because it looks bad if you try and evict a church. You'll never get rid of these people. Finally, we found a little place. It wasn't more than it wasn't even more than a quarter of an acre. It was just a little small piece of property, and we didn't realize it. But all the water in the area drained down into that area, that one particular piece of land. We got a, we got a nasty rain one time. Now, I mean, one one day it just rained and rained. They called and they said, Pastor, don't even show up at the church. The the chairs are floating. We had those plastic stacking chairs. They're floating inside the tent. I got in, got in there. There's the container. It's water's beginning to rise on the container, and we haven't even been able to pull the big tent out yet. We're worried. We're thinking, man, God, God, what what's happened here? Here we finally find a piece of property, and and this thing's it isn't even going to work for us. So we bounced from place to place, and you know it was it was one of those things where we had to say, God, you, did you brought us here, Lord? You put us in this place. I know you didn't bring us here for us to fail. I know you didn't bring us here for us to lose the investment of this church and, and of this fellowship. And we've, in, we've invested our, we've brought our family here. God, you didn't bring us here to, to leave us alone. We went from place to place. And on Easter Sunday, just a few weeks after that happened, we, we about, about four weeks after that big rain, we were meeting in a giant field and we looked across the fence and we saw a piece of property and we said, why haven't we ever considered this piece of land before? We went and talked to the owner, and the owner, come to find out, had been in the U.S., had gone to school in Alabama, and instead of getting an education, he worked at a gas station the entire time he was here. So by the time he got back to Nairobi, he didn't have an education to, to make a solid income. He was depending on that land. 
He needed somebody to come and rent from him. And because he'd been in the U.S., he trusted Americans. And God opened that door for us. And that's where the, that's where the tent sits today. That piece of property, it was, I mean, it was, underneath that tent is probably three feet of cotton soil. You guys have cotton soil down this way? Cotton soil is nasty. Let me tell you, if you walk in cotton soil, you'll be, you'll be walking two feet tall in just a minute. Because that stuff begins to stack up underneath your shoes. You can't hardly get it off. We put, we brought in, I, we, I think we brought in, I think it was close to a hundred truckloads of dirt and rock. We built roads into that place, and we put that tent up. And today, you know, there, there's, a, there's a great church there. We've got two more years right now on that property, and we need another place. But, you know, it was, it was by faith we stepped out. By faith we moved into that place, and God opened that door. Jonathan said, it may be. Hallelujah. Yes, come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You know, here's the truth. You're going to face more maybes than you do face the absolute sure things in life, that's the, by a long shot. You're going you're gonna to face a lot of unknowns. Every one of us do. There's no, how can we move in ministry? How can we do anything for God? How could you ever move into this place? I mean, it seems like an impossibility. I was in the other building before. I was there when you guys were over on, on the, just down the road over here, and then you, and you got into this place. Even when we moved into our building in Colorado Springs, it seems like an impossibility. Man, this place is going to swallow us up. How are we going to, how are we going to function? How are, what, what's what's going to happen? It, you know, we stepped out on faith. When, when Peter told the Lord, he said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. And he began to walk on that water. He wasn't just walking on water. I like what Reinhard Bonnke says. He says he was walking on the word come. That Jesus said, Come. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And Jesus says, come. He wasn't just walking on the water. It was that word. Lord, you said. Lord, you've promised. And so there are going, there are going to be th these things. And just like a farmer doesn't wait until he's, he's absolutely sure it's going to rain, he sows seed anyways. I don't know if you remember this drought that we had in the in the Midwest in the West back in the Midwest back here, and we, there were some people. I, I was talking to a guy in our church that had family there, and they 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 do like sharecropping, and they have huge tracts of land. And they had one year that it, this one year it was just absolute uh, devastating to the to their crops. They didn't get any of the rain that they thought they were going to get. And they had already invested. They had invested $100,000 in seed, $100,000, and most of it was lost. And they asked, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do? Are you going to just pack it up? Or are you going to have to uh, close things down? He says, no, we're, next year we're going to reinvest. We're going to plant again. There are no guarantees. Look over with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Let's look at that scripture, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. In verse 3, you know what we need to do is we need to obey God first and allow him to do what he does best in our lives. Some people don't do anything because they don't have a guarantee. There, some people, then they never want to tithe. They never want to be obedient. They never want to give because they're not for sure. Well, what, what if it doesn't work? Let me tell you, what if it does work? And I can tell you that it does. They say, well, what if it doesn't work for me? Look at Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. 
And if the tree falls towards the south or towards the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will, there it shall be. He that observes the wind will not sow. In other words, if your eyes are always on the wind and you're looking at circumstances, you'll never do anything for God. Let me tell you, doubt never planted a church. Doubt never stepped out in faith and, and did a conference or a rally like we've done. Doubt never did anything like that. He that observes the wind shall not sow, and he that regards the clouds will not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way or of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who makes all. In the morning, sow thy seed. Look at somebody and say, sow thy seed. And in the evening, withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether thou shalt prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. He's saying you're going to have to take a step of faith and sow no matter what. You're going to have to believe God. If you really want to see God move, there's somewhere you're going to have to act knowing that God is God and he's faithful. So well, what if what if they don't respond? What if they don't don't what if they don't give back the way I'm expecting it? You know that's how that's how marriage works. We give not knowing that how that person is going to respond. Well, we ought to give anyways. Hey, what if they don't love me back? Love anyways. What happens? What happens if it doesn't work? So anyways, let me tell you something. God is not a man. The Bible says that he should lie. He's not like the rest of the world. He doesn't turn his back on us. He is faithful to the very end. Think about the widow at, at Zarephath in 1 Kings chapter 17 when the prophet comes to her and he says and he says to her as she's going to get some water and she's got that meal and that, that, that little bit of grain, she says, I'm going to make a cake for my son and then we're going to die. You know what he says to her? Before you do that, before you go and make yourself a cake, make me a cake first. Now, that takes a lot of nerve. But God was directing that situation. God was orchestrating that. And, you know, as she stepped out on that, on that word from this man of God, God began to work a miracle. God began to do something in that situation. You know, there have been a lot of times when I've had to step out and I didn't have a guarantee. Years ago, when we were pastoring in Greeley, we already had two children. And I talked with Pastor Bland. You heard him on, on Thursday night. I talked to Pastor Bland. I, we, we said, you know, if we ever have any more children, we're going to adopt. We've been thinking about adopting from India, but we don't know how it would, how it would work, how it could happen, what their possibility is. Pastor Bland, this is probably back in 2000, and I would say 2001, and Pastor Bland says, well, if you go over and, and get a child, get one for me too. I thought, well, okay, but I knew he, he wasn't too serious, and so... We didn't know what was going to happen. We, I had been to India when I was younger, and it was uh, it was on my heart. It's how we ended up in Africa. We'd been to Africa, and Africa was on our heart. And so, uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. We just thought, well, one one of these days, maybe. Well, next thing you know, we're being sent over to Kenya, and we look around us, and man, there's Indians all over the place. Indians are running the they're running the country nearly. They're they're everywhere. 
They got businesses, and they're, they're, they're established. And, you know, India was colonized by the British. Kenya was colonized by the British. So there's this connection there, and there's all kinds of Indians. We happen to be living in an area where we got Indians on one side and Indians across the street, and at night we're hearing the, the parties, you know, they're, they're shooting fireworks and all these different things. And thought, man, maybe, maybe God can do something. We thought maybe, maybe if we talk to an adoption agency, they'll be give, able to give us some, uh, some advice. Maybe if we talk to the U.S. Embassy, they can point us in the right direction. We called the U.S. Embassy, talked to the people at immigration, the lady that was in, in charge of, of immigrations and, and all of that in, in, uh, uh, in Kenya, and she says, she says, you know, I've thought about doing that myself, but it's too much red tape. There's too much work involved. He, she said, it's, it's next to impossible to adopt from India. India does not do adoptions. They do guardianship. They'll, they'll make you a guardian. You would, have to, you would have to get guardianship in India. Then you would have to adopt again in Kenya. And then you would have to do it again to get into the U.S. I mean, that's a, that's a process. And I don't know how many have ever adopted or, or thought about doing it in the United States, but it can be quite expensive. And it can take a long time. And there's, there really, there's a process that has to be taken. So we, we talked to this, this lady, and she, it was pretty discouraging. We thought, is it, is it even possible? Well, we'll talk to a, uh, an adoption place and see. We'll talk to some child advocates and see what they say. Come to find out, there was another man in, in Nairobi that had also adopted from India. He was an Indian man. And he was, he was able to walk us through some of the necessary steps. He says, well, if you talk to this lady over here, we went and talked to the, another lady. She had adopted from India. And as a matter of fact, her husband had worked for uh, missionaries of charity in Calcutta and had worked in Mother Teresa's orphanages there and, and had some connections. So we began this process. We wrote some letters and we, uh, we, we reached out to the uh, missionaries of charity and Mother Teresa's organization. And we said, well, what do you think is the possibility of us being able to adopt? They said, it's possible. Do these necessary steps. Take these things. I mean, we had a packet that was 100 pages thick. That We did home studies. We did all of these different things. And uh, they said, now you can go over to India. And if you want, you can go and visit this orphanage in Mumbai. So we went to Mumbai or Bombay. Now it's Mumbai. We took our kids, took Evan and Elena, and we got over into Mumbai, and we stayed in a little hotel and walked across to this orphanage, and we went into that place, and, and uh, it was all nuns and, and, and just filled with children. And they, and they um, took us in there, and we saw these kids, and we were there for a, for a few days. We didn't know what, what God was going to do. We didn't realize that they, had, they, had, they, they don't allow foreigners to come in and just pick a child you get the child that they pick for you and so we went in there and and it was just a, a god opened up a door for us they had written a letter from from calcutta to mumbai and said there's an american family coming give them a child well it was it was just absolutely amazing how god began to put the put the pieces together and so i'm in that little room and there's um, all these kids and the, and the oldest little girl that was in there she was five years old we're sitting in there, and she's helping other kids to get their food and feeding them, and she didn't even eat until they had all eaten their food. And we're sitting there, and I, was, I remember leaning up against the wall, and, and there was Reese. She's right back there, 
And she, she leans over and she looks and she kind of winks at me. And that was all it took. And we fell in love with her. And we just prayed that God would just, we, we, we prayed that God would, would touch her and that God would help us to be able to get her. She come to find out that she had already been promised to a family in Switzerland and her papers were already in Switzerland. And they, we, we told them we would really like to adopt Reese and take Reese with us. And they said, well, it's, it's almost impossible because there's another family that's going to sign the papers. And they said, well, we'll call and we'll get the papers. And before they could sign the papers, they got the papers back and brought them back to Mumbai. And we were able to sign those papers. And we left her a little photo album uh, with our pictures. And they, they uh brought her in and they said uh, do you want this she didn't speak any English at the time do you want this to be your mommy and daddy and your brother and sister and we were all sitting there and they're asking her in Hindi and and she said yes she said yes we said okay and the process began to work and so that was about it only took us I think maybe five months to work all of that through, we made another trip back, and we were, we were juggling all kinds of things. We still hadn't adopted. We just got the guardianship. And so we, we, she walked out of that orphanage, and she, she turned, and she waved, and then she didn't look back one bit. We took, put her on a plane and took her back to Nairobi. And let me just tell you, that, that's, that was a big miracle, getting her out of India. But then getting her from Nairobi into the United States. Oh, I'm giving you the short version. This should be a, I mean, the, Pastor Dustin's story should be a book. We ought, to write two, we ought to write one book, and his can be the first half, mine can be the second half. We had to get her from, from, from Nairobi into the United States. The problem was that when, they had, when, when they'd given her a name, she'd only had one name. They didn't give her a second name, and so... Uh, they said at the embassy, nobody has only one name. We said, well, she does. Look at her passport. In her Indian passport, it has only one name. They said, nobody has one name. You have to give her two names. And so we, had to, we gave her the first name twice. All right? And we went down. They said, no, it, it can't, it's not enough. It has to be actually in the passport. In order to do that, they got to print a new passport. And you have to have it appear in the national newspaper. And it's got to appear for everybody to see. And this is on, I think we found out maybe on, on Thursday. And we're leaving on, on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday. And I've, I've got to go down. I've got to get this stuff into the national newspaper on Friday so it appears on Saturday. This is impossible stuff. I walked into, I walked into the lawyer's office and I said, you know, we're going to have to get this thing done in one day. Now, if you know what it's like in other countries, sometimes nothing happens in one day. And we had to go through offices. We had to go through probably seven or eight offices. And when you talk about these third world, third world countries, it's not computerized. You, look, you walk into a room, and it's a stack of papers like this. You walk into a man's office, and he's got piles and piles of papers, and people are waiting in line to get their documents signed. And I told this brother, his name was Fred. I said, Fred, today, do you want to be a part of a miracle? And he, he says, yes. I said, all right, today you're going to witness a miracle. We went, and I'm, not t I'm telling you the absolute truth, that we went from one office to the next, and by 4 o'clock, we had gone through every office and had gotten every signature that we needed. It was, a, it was a complete and total miracle. He was astonished. 
And we walked into the printing office at 4.30, and we told them we need this to appear in tomorrow's newspaper. They said, this is, we're coming for, this is for October conference. They said, we've got people that have been waiting since April to have their papers or their, their information published in this, in this newspaper. I said, well, we're going to, we got to get this in. What are we going to do? I said, do you want to be a part of a miracle or not? He said, okay, well, but it's not, we've, we've already started the presses. The newspaper's already printing. That page is already printing. I said, well, we're going to have to take that page out. And print something new. It, it was. Let me tell you, this is the short version, all right? By the grace of God, they removed that entire page of the newspaper, stopped the presses. This is a government printing press. Took that page out, put it, put it back in. I don't know who got bumped out of the system, but I prayed for them that God would help them along the way. And we got our paperwork in there. On Saturday, I walked into the Indian High Commission with my newspaper, and it was printed. And I told them, and they never work on Saturday. And the Indian High Commission said, we're going to work throughout the day. We're going to get this thing done because on Monday, we're no longer doing passports in Nairobi. They'll all be done in Delhi. They'll all be done in Delhi. Today is the very last day. It was, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a handwritten passport, but that's what they were doing. And we got a handwritten passport, and by the grace of God, we got on a plane and were able to come to the conference, and it was an absolute miracle. Hallelujah. Amen. Give, the God, give God praise for that. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people that do, they'll do a lot of things just hoping. People, people buy fishing boats. I don't know if, you've, if you're into stuff like that, but you see these guys, they've got $10,000 worth of equipment. They don't have a guarantee on catching a fish. They're hoping. When these guys drill out in the Gulf of Mexico and they're putting a well somewhere, putting a well, they don't have a giant X on the ground that says drill here. They're, they're, they're going on a maybe. It may be. Let me tell you something. In life and in spiritual things, it may be that God would work in your favor, but you have to learn to trust God. Jonathan saw that. Here they had one sword between the two of them, and there were only two swords among all the men. Saul had one, Jonathan had the other. All the rest of them were over being sharpened. Go and, if you go back and read the story, all they had was just that, that uh, hope that maybe God's going to intervene on our behalf. It might be that we step up and we go up, and if God is for us, he says, who can be against us? Somewhere we've got to take a chance on God and step out in faith. Get up and start moving in the direction. You know, it, it, it would pay for some people just to get up and start moving in the direction of your miracle. So how do, you, how do I know if it's going to work? You don't know that it won't. It may, God can begin to orchestrate some things. I mean, if you've never bought a house, why not try? Why not go, go talk to somebody? Ask, ask your pastor. Talk to somebody and say, how can I do this? Help me get out of debt. Help me move in the right direction. Begin to move in the direction of the miracle that you want to see happen. It, it has to be that way. There has to be a step of faith because if you look at this story, they, went, they didn't run away from their problem. They said, we're going we're gonna to take a step of faith. Maybe you remember the, the four lepers that were at Samaria. The Bible says they began to talk to themselves and they said, why sit here until we die? And one of them got this crazy thought. What are we doing here? We're going to die here. We can either die here or we can die there. 
What are we going to do? And they began to, they got up and they began to walk. Do you remember what happened as they began to walk towards that situation? The Bible says the Lord amplified their footsteps. The Sumerian army thought that they were, they were an army coming after them and they ran, they, they took off and fled from their, from their camps. And here they, here they had left this giant smorgasbord of food. They couldn't even eat it all. They thought, we're going to have to go inside the city and tell them what has happened. Why, why would we sit here until we die? Is there an obstacle? Is there something that you're facing? Maybe you've been praying for a house. You've been praying for something, and it seems like an impossibility. Listen, the voice, the voice that's in your head will tend to be a negative voice. If you listen to the voices that are just in your head, it'll, it'll, you'll, you'll be discouraged. Because doubt doesn't say, let's plant a seed, let's invest, let's, let's do something, let's, let's take proactive measures and be, and, and, and be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Doubt closes up. Says, well, I, just, I don't know if it'll work. I'm not sure if it's possible. There are three things, and I'm going to close with this, that we have to understand when it comes to ministry, how God moves. God moves in locale, number one. The will of God involves these three things, locale, our location, number two, our calling, and number three, timing. God works, he, he plants you in a local church, he calls you, he puts his calling upon your life, and then the timing is very important. We don't just send people out into ministry just at any time, but we pray, God help us to let it be right timing. Sometimes we get ahead of things. Sometimes we're, we're unsure. You know, we just sent Pastor Donna Loretta Portnova over into Ireland in the last conference a, a year ago, like I think a year ago now. And they went over there, and they began that church, and then next thing you know, their papers, papers are coming due. They had to get out of the country. They came back here. They were back here almost a year, and now they've gone back into Ireland. And if it doesn't work in, and it doesn't look like it's going to work in Northern Ireland, they're going to move down into Southern Ireland, into the actual Ireland, Ireland. What, what if it doesn't work? Well, if God closes that door, he'll open a window somewhere else. We're not going to let the devil defeat us, amen? We're not going to just let the devil do what he wants to do. We're going we're gonna to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and step out in faith. In Ecclesiastes, it says, if you're not sure, so anyways. 